So Charles Baudelaire is credited with saying this, probably heard some version of this, one of the artifices or wiles of Satan is to induce men to believe that he does not exist. Now there are a lot of modern day paraphrases of that you probably heard too. One great example recently is in the film The Usual Suspects. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he did not exist. That's as dangerous, folks, as atheism when you think about it. Good time to talk about spiritual warfare. So we do that today. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. So if you want to have your Bibles open, smartphone, whatever your preferred method is, I'd invite you to get that out. So like many of the New Testament epistles, Paul's writing to a very small minority group of Christians that's living under Rome. So they're under that rule. So this fringe group of Jesus followers called Christians living in Ephesus. He's called previously, this is the very end of Ephesians, last chapter, right? He has previously called these Ephesian Christians to live a life worthy of Jesus. He's spoken of the glories of Jesus and the very high calling that that is. He's exhorted them uh, to, to conduct their personal lives in light of this high calling. He's exhorted them and their families and their shared life as a church to live under that high, that high calling, glories of Jesus. And now we arrive at the final agenda item in the letter. Because everything after this is sort of miscellaneous. It's, it's hellos and goodbye. Things. This is the last thing. The last thing. And folks, this passage is absolutely epic. It is a battlefield charge to us. It's one of those rousing military speeches. Who here has seen Patton? Okay, don't be shy. Who here has seen Lord of the Rings? Okay. You're seeing Braveheart. Okay. Maybe you've read Henry V. Uh, I can't know that I can raise my yeah, I don't know that I can raise my hand for all of that, but yes. It's one of those speeches. Okay, remember those rousing battlefield speeches from those uh, those sources. This thing that Paul's telling us, it is meant to inspire. It is meant to say, keep going. Keep going. Verse 10, finally, be strong. Finally, telling us, all right, last thing. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul is mixing, uh, he's not going to mince any words. All the power and the strength that we have comes from Jesus, comes from God. We say, okay, uh, yeah, 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 but let me, let me spell that out a little bit more. Uh, be strong in the Lord, frankly, is a pretty unfortunate translation because it's actually in the passive voice. The way it should read is be strengthened in the Lord. Be made strong in the Lord. Do you hear the difference? You hear the difference? Be strong sounds like the onus is kind of up on me. Buck up and be strong, right? Whereas be strengthened is about receiving something that I deeply need that's outside of me. I just don't have, right? It is different. Someone is empowering me. Somebody is imparting strength to me, and that is the Lord. There's another little tiny word that sort of reinforces that. It's the word in, I am, right? Be strong or be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. To be in the Lord is, to, is a reaffirmation of where our strength comes from, right? Because we're in relationship with him. We're in communion with God. So to be in the Lord means to be in Christ. It's this, you can kind of read those synonymously. So we can rest in the strength of his might. Being in Christ, in Christ, as he's saying, that gives us strength. So none of what Paul is uh, inviting us into here can be done in our own strength. Let's say that really clearly. None of what Paul's talking about and the battle he describes can be done 
in human strength. Anything human. Our creativity, our will, our talent, our tenacity, our resilience, the best that we have to offer is not enough. It's not enough. It's not even close. It will fail. Flesh will fail here. We need the supernatural power of God to carry it out. That is the one necessity. That's the one necessity. And we will need God's strength because there is a battle at hand. Now, every Christian faces opposition from three basic places. And you guys have heard me rip off this before. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Paul is taking on number three here. He's talking about the devil, the enemy of God, and the enemy of God's people. That's what we're dealing with. The devil and his minions. And here's how to deal with it. Paul's going Paul's to tell us. 11. <clears throat> Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. So our enemy, the devil, and his army, uh, folks, I mean, they do have plans. They do have schemes. They do have stratagems. There's planning. Okay? Satan and his minions, he hates God. And he hates all that is precious to God, which means you. Because you're God's children, me. You're going to have a hard time finding a pure hate than that. So there is intelligence, there's strategy, and there's pure malice. Uh, maybe a good time to reread screw tape letters to see how this works. So we need the strength of God. Paul knows it. But we also need to suit up. And I'm kind of using a football term. It just means to put on your gear, right? Every Christian is a soldier in the spiritual realm. And I feel so strongly about this. So children and youth, you are soldiers in Jesus Christ. Okay, so this armor that God's about putting on, that is something that you can do. You can put on that armor. You can swing the sword of the Spirit. God has made you a soldier. He's made you mighty. And you have no, you have no reason to fear. God is with you. So mom and dad are there to protect you. And guess what? God has not left you uh, unprotected either. He's going to give you spiritual tools and weaponry that you can use. I believe that it's not just the adults here who are formidable here in a spiritual sense. I think our kids are too. Absolutely. So we've got to suit up though. <laughs> we've got to suit up. Nobody goes into battle without the gear. You've got to have the gear on. You've got to have it. So if you do this, if you go out and battle without gear, what's going to happen to you? What do you think? Are you going to fare well? What do you think? You're going to do well if you go out into battle with no armor and no sword? You're going to get trashed. <laughs> You're going to get absolutely thumped. So we rely on the strength of God and thus his armor, again, not our own. So God is the one supplying the spiritual armor. God is the one supplying the spiritual weaponry. But we do have to actively put it on and we do have to learn how to use it for it to be any good. It's one thing to go, that's awesome. Look what God did. This great armor and this great sword. Isn't that beautiful? Well, you got to put it on. That's one step. But even then, <laughs> you got to learn how to use that stuff. So, got to actively put it on. Got to actively learn how to use it. So that we can stand. Listen how many times that occurs in this passage. Stand against the schemes of the devil. Let me give you the picture that Paul is painting here. Um, it is a distinctly defensive position. So this is us digging in our heels, okay? Digging in our heels, huddling together and holding our ground. It is completely defensive. This is not us on the offensive. This is us in the midst of an onslaught from the enemy, and we're defending something that's very precious to us. So he's saying, stand. Dig your heels in. Put your shield out. Stand. 
do that. This is not an offensive. This is defense, and the message is just being pummeled, okay? It's a shame we can't really, you know, identify with that in any way, shape, or form. Laugh track. So, um, we stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Heavenly places. So I don't know about you. I'm tempted. There we go. That's our brother Harold. Uh, there's a war going on around us all the time. There are a lot of days I, I just, I completely forget that. I completely forget that reality. And it doesn't cease. Those heavenly realms that Paul speaks of here, it just, it's a reminder of the unseen spiritual world. Paul pulls back the veil. He's trying to show us uh, the conflict that's going on in the heavenlies. And it's intense. <laughs> that's Harold, I believe. Um, so he's pulling back the veil. This is something that's going on whether we realize it or not. So spiritual warfare is a reality, right? And though I think we're tempted to live as if that isn't always true. Or just to forget that. It can wax. It can wane. But it does not stop. There's nothing in the scripture that shows me that. So to fight in the spiritual war means we need the spiritual armor I talked about. It means we need the spiritual weapons I talked about. And nothing forged of human hands is going to help us. Just not to battle the devil. So my strength's not enough. Your strength's not enough. Our strength's not enough. Just won't do it. Our battle is not against human beings. I've been saying the last few weeks in the plumb line, we don't battle against flesh and blood. So our battle is not against human beings. Let that sink in for a minute. Our battle is not against human beings. Think of how people, human beings, are demonized. How human beings are victimized. How human beings are made the subject of violence and hate. The devil loves that. Loves that. Some who claim to be Christians will hate and vilify other human beings in God's name. They don't see the real and unseen enemy, the devil and his minions. And so we all have this temptation. You know what? I think I'll settle for an enemy that I can touch, see, hear, and harm. Our battle is not against human beings. It is not. It's not against flesh and blood. What we're really up against, rulers, those authorities, those cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil that are not human. They're unseen. They're malevolent spiritual beings. And they're at work behind the scenes. Though we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, there are definitely spiritual forces who seek to use and to influence and to enslave human beings and human organizations and at all levels for evil ends. There's no doubt about that. But even despite that, human beings are not our true enemy. There's not. So we must strongly resist the urge. And we need to reject that seductive temptation to demonize other human beings. If God's mission is to save them, shouldn't we? I mean, let's not kill off the people God seeks to save, shall we? Let's not do that. Easier to find a visible enemy, blame him or her, than to fight the unseen real enemy. It's always easier. And I say that knowing that there definitely are human beings who play for the opposing team. This is true. 
intentionally or otherwise. God saves. That's the core of our gospel. We are not free to annihilate in God's name. We're not. Let's remember who we're fighting against. It's not flesh and blood. It's not human beings. Instead, get this, we wrestle against those rulers, those authorities, those cosmic powers, those spiritual forces of evil that aren't human, those unseen, yeah, all those, uh, all those unseen forces, all that. And we wrestle. Now, wrestling is not really pretty. Paul's not talking about sort of really technically skilled Greco-Roman wrestling. This is like sweaty and ugly and dirty and and, and kind of raw. You ever seen a a real fight between two people? Not the Hollywood version, but like one that gets on the ground? Like it's, it's ugly and it's really awkward. It's not pretty. It's like street brawling. So our spiritual opponents are smart and they fight dirty. They do. So when it comes to the devil and his minions, I'm going to go to the Godfather here, Go to the mattresses, and go to the mattresses. You gotta wrestle against them. Get this quote. I don't know who this dude is, to be quite honest, but his last name is Stud. <laughs> With a double D. But he has one good thing to say, maybe more, but here's one. When in hand to hand conflict with the devil, neat little biblical confectionaries are like shooting lions with a pea shooter. One needs a person who will let go and delivers blows right and left as hard as he can hit in the name of the Holy Ghost. Listen to this. Nothing but forked lightning Christians will count. That's good. That's good. He's talking about putting on the armor of God and swinging the sword of the Spirit. Forked lightning Christians. I'd like to be one of those. I grew up. Verses 13 to 17. Therefore, you know the importance of that word, given all I just said. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God. That's the second time he said the whole armor. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And that having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore. Having fastened on the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as for and as shoes for your feet. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, how do we suit up? Here we go. Again, I'm going to say, he said the whole armor twice. So evidently, you don't want to sort of uh, piecemeal it. Maybe I'll take the sword and the helmet. He said, put it everything on. Everything. Not just some of it. Having done all, having fully prepared ourselves and putting on the armor of God, we can stand. That's how we stand our ground. And it's interesting just how you and I, uh, before we came to church or in the morning, have an order for how you get dressed. This is before COVID. <laughs> in order to go out, I mean. There's a sequence you have to get dressed and to get ready, right? This is the same thing. Paul is laying out how a soldier puts on their armor. There's a certain order here. How do they ready themselves for fight. That's the armor of God that we're going to see here. Now, Paul's crafty, or just not crafty. Uh, he's so saturated in the Old Testament. He's bringing a little Isaiah here. Uh, we may not know it, but he does. Isaiah describes God as a divine warrior, and on some of these exact same terms, someone who defends Israel, someone uh, who stands against evil and injustice on 
their behalf. So there's really strong echoes here of Isaiah 59, 17. You can kind of bookmark that and come back to that. So this reminds us that God is the source of that strength. He's the provider of our spiritual armor, weaponry. He's for us. Fight. He wants that echo to catch them and have them go, wait a minute, that sounds like Isaiah. That sounds like the divine warrior God. But we do need to prepare ourselves for battle and we have experience. He wants us to have experience in using these armor and arms. So i got to be honest, um, I don't know about you, I've heard this passage preached on a lot, and some of these metaphors kind of beat to death. I'm really going to try not to do that. <laughs> okay? Uh, but I do think he didn't choose these metaphors just out of thin air. They're Old Testament allusions, and there's, there's, there's meaning there, but I don't want to press it too far. But I'm going to press it as far as I uh, think is biblically reasonable. Okay? First thing you put on, first thing, is your belt. Okay? The belt of truth. Not actual armor, but it's the first thing you put on. You put on the belt of truth. Now the belt, back then, it holds up your toga. So you need this. It holds your clothes kind of together. And the whole point of it is so you don't trip. So that you can move freely about in battle. Right? Uh, how hard would it be if uh, your bridges were falling down and you're trying to fight? Pretty hard. Okay? So that's the whole point. God's truth somehow enables us to move and to maneuver and to remain agile in the fight. That's the first thing that goes on. We put on the belt, kind of keeps everything together so we can move and fight. That's the first thing we put on. Second thing, the breastplate. Kind of imagine that. You put that on. Covers up probably from your neck down to your waist. There's a lot of vital organs in here. Right? So it guards all that's vital. Righteousness, I think, is key here because it's something that God imputes or gives to us in Christ Jesus. He became sin so that we might have the righteousness of God. Paul is riffing off of, or reaffirming what we know to be true in Romans. So to know this, to have that righteousness covering us, is a tremendous comfort. What if we aren't certain of our standing before God? What if we don't know that we're righteous? Think the devil's going to use that against you? Yes, he will. He can wound us with that. But if we're sure where we stand with God, and that's what that righteousness piece is about, that protects us, that seals us, that offers us great peace. Those are things the devil cannot touch if we're certain of them. So righteousness guards our vitals. And if you'll forgive me for pressing the metaphor a little too hard, our heart, right? Okay, so now we've got our belt on, we've got our breastplate on. Uh, Next thing, we put our shoes on. Okay, shoes next. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is verse 15. Let me give some obvious things. Shoes protect our uh, feet in battle. It's how we move about. They also give us traction, you know, the ability to dig in, right, when when, uh, the onslaught is coming. The gospel of Jesus anchors us in this way. It gives us firm footing. Right? Firm, firm footing. So we're soldiers engaged in warfare, and they aid us in that way. But here's, I think, something else. We're also ambassadors of Jesus. Paul calls us that many places. Our feet take us places, right? Our feet take us places. Our feet carry us into the presence of other people who need to know Jesus. That's the gospel of peace. There it is that others would know uh, that reconciling work of God, a God who seeks them out. This is a very hopeful 
image and it's a reminder of why are we fighting exactly? What is this about? Well, uh, you know, this is defensive and missional. That's what these shoes, uh, having put on the readiness given to the gospel of peace, that's what this is about. Helps our defense, but also helps us remind us of the missional why, what we do. Human souls are precious to God. So precious. Why do you think the devil is after them? So this reminds us of why we're fighting and why we're digging in, right? It's about the gospel and it's about the mission of the gospel to other human beings. So shoes, okay? So we've got our belt, we've got our breastplate, we've got our shoes on. Okay, first thing, we're going to pick up the shield. A defensive, highly defensive weapon, shield of faith. So here's the scoop, a Roman shield, which Paul is, I think he's definitely... That's what he has in mind when he looks at it. A Roman shield was pretty big, made of wood, about as tall as you were, like a door, really. So it was a large, big rectangle. So it was wood, covered it in leather, and they would soak that leather in water. The whole purpose being, they had flaming arrows coming at them. So they needed something to extinguish them. So that did the trick. And this shield would cover you, but also a little bit of whoever was behind you. Okay? That's how it worked. And I can't really exhort you to see this movie. <laughs> but if you saw the movie 300, uh, where they locked up the shields and it literally just became almost this impenetrable wall because of how they stood with their shields, they would actually do that. So they had, you would lock your shields, link them together, and stand as a group. Very powerful. So our faith, yes, I said our faith, that was intentional, is meant by God to protect us. The shield of faith, that gift of faith, that deep belief in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, will fend off attacks of the evil one, especially when we lock them together. Okay? Strength, there's some strength in numbers here. Okay, so we've got our belts on, we've got a breastplate on, we've got our shoes on, we have our shield. Okay, last, last thing, defensive item, helmet. Pop that on. The helmet of salvation. Now, nobody in Paul's day and age had modern medical knowledge that the brain's in there and, you know, if you damage the brain, it's, I mean, they didn't know any of that. But they did know this. <laughs> Protecting your head was important. Right. They know this. A big blow to the head can kill you or just take you out of the fight. So, salvation, let's think of it this way. It is a gift from God is a gift the devil cannot take away. So that deep assured knowledge of our salvation in Jesus can protect us from fatal blows. Again, think if that, uh, not knowing where you stand with God, if your salvation being unsure about that, if that didn't have that covering, what happens to you? Well, you're in danger. You're in danger. So, okay, we have all our defensive gear on at this point. And up till now, this is all about defense, right? Feet help you move around and evade things and go places. And a belt keeps your britches on. And the breastplate protects your vitals. And uh, the shield of faith extinguishes arrows and such and blows. All that. Okay, we've done all that. Um, Finally, here comes our one offense. We take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay? That is the only offense we have. And I'm not saying that as if for us. <laughs> not at all. That is the only weapon we have. 
And apparently, it's all we need. Satan fears those who know how to wield the Word of God. He does. That is the same weapon that Jesus used to battle him in the wilderness. Same weapon. So here would be my encouragement to you, and I think here is the wisdom of this. Hide the Word of God in your heart. In times of peace, hide the Word of God in your heart. Abide in that. Because when it's time for battle, guess what? That's the time. That needs, it's, it needs to be here, right? It needs to be here. That's not the time to do a, a cram for a test at the last minute in the middle of a firefight. Bad idea. Hide the Word of God in your heart in those seasons of peace. I'm not saying don't draw on it otherwise. I'm just saying, man, that stuff, I promise you, is pay dirt when it's time to fight. It's there. It will be there. So the Word of God. The Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. And apparently, God thinks that is more than sufficient to fend off any attack. And I'm counting on that. I'm going with that. So all this armor, all this weaponry, they're powerful. Okay? God's provision, it is formidable. And it is enough for the fight. So I... How would I put this? Uh, these aren't just provisions God gives us to sort of fight a little longer, last a little bit longer. Okay, these aren't just weapons and armor to stave off what really is an imminent defeat. Right? That's a lie from the pit of hell. That is not true. The Word of God, the whole armor of God, is enough. It is enough. We are not outmatched, but we are not outgunned. We're not. The God of the universe is on our side. 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's as far as we're going to take it today. It's interesting. I don't know why prayer isn't listed in the kind of the armory. I I really don't understand that. That's you know, that's fine. But it's no less essential. So let me beat the war metaphor to death just a little bit longer. In warfare, uh, don't you need good intelligence, right? It's important to be in communication with kind of the headquarters and know what's going on. What's going on big picture? Well, prayer is part of that. But to be more scriptural, (laughs) prayer is our lifeline. It's our lifeline. It's how we commune with the Lord. It's how we communicate with the Lord. It's something we're exhorted to cultivate over and over in Scripture uh, such that our lives would become not just our words and thoughts but actions just become kind of this constant prayer that pray without ceasing. So prayer cultivates uh, our relationship with God. And I don't know about you, who doesn't need a deep, grounded relationship with Jesus in the midst of a firefight? I have found that to be immensely helpful and more than that. So pray in the Spirit. Let God give you sustenance and wisdom and courage and assurance. Let me close here. This picture that Paul exhorts us to is not of an individual soldier. I don't know about you, when I go through this, this image of getting suited up and all that, I'm thinking of just, it's me doing it. Me putting on the armor of God. That's not the picture here at all. It's not. Paul's whole address is to us. It's a y'all. It's a, we're all suiting up. It's not just me. It's all of us. We're fighting and we're standing. So Paul's exhorting us to suit up together, fight and stand 
and battle shoulder to shoulder like those Roman soldiers did. Lock those shields when you need to, right? Become that impenetrable wall when the onslaught comes. We can't stand firm as Paul's describing here. Uh, we, we, we need one another. We can't do that alone. So one or two people do not a wall make. We just don't. So we've got to stand together. So it's not about individuals. It's about the body. It's about the body. So uh, those spiritual warfare uh, can wax and, and can wane. It is ongoing. Um, I don't see anywhere in the scripture that these supernatural beings, angels or demons, like ever take a vacation. That's unfortunate. But it is what it is, right? I think we're more conscious of spiritual warfare in certain moments than others. But it's, it's always going on there. They wax and wane, but it's there. I will say that over the last year, I've observed no small amount of spiritual warfare against our church. I mean, we've gone through a lot. And since we arrived here, July 11th, I mean, I feel like the intensity of that spiritual battle has only increased I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in our family's life. I've seen it with our staff. I've seen it on a leadership level. I mean, guys, I, I think we're kind of getting pummeled right now. I really do. So let's stand firm. Let's lock shields. Let's stand firm. Remember who our enemy is. We don't battle against flesh and blood. Okay? Let's swing the sword of the Spirit. Final two or three things. Um, and I say this to adults, but I say it to kids too. So Satan and his minions, they, he wants you to fear them. Don't give him that satisfaction. Don't give him an itch. God is giving you armor and ways to fight. And you don't have to be afraid. You are formidable. You're strong. And you got mom and or dad there standing with you. Okay? In this warfare, so don't give him an itch. Don't give him one inch. Stand. And remember, look around and say, these are people who are standing with me. I'm not alone in this. Satan will lie to you and want you to think you're alone. That's, that's a lie. That's from the pit of hell. That's a lie. You're not alone. You're not. So in this warfare, we need to remember that the devil is already defeated. You need to remember that. Satan is fighting a losing battle. He's a losing battle. His defeat is imminent. It is a foregone conclusion. And when Jesus returns, Satan and his minions will be thrown down, definitively. But in the meantime, God gives us the power and the strength to stand, to keep going, to stand firm. And finally, one more bit of encouragement, I hope. This is John Dunn. It is not in the power of the devil to do so much harm as God can do good. Did you hear that? It is not in the power of the devil to do so much harm as God can do good. Think about that. It's not a fair fight, guys. And we're on winning team.